Hi, everybody. Welcome back to It's Not You, It's the System, a podcast for getting self-blame, messy family stuff, and internalized oppression out of your way so you can make the impact you're here for. I am Lauren, which you probably know. I'm an anti-capitalist coach and communication strategist, and I work with folks from non-traditional political candidates to small business owners to everyday activists and organizers. And today I am very excited to have my friend Haley Banye Becker. Did I say that right? Banye. Banye. But oh, we don't pronounce you. it correctly anyway, so it's totally fine. <laughs> okay, cool. I even asked you the other day and I still mess it up. But you and I met around this time last year, I think, through Denver's DSA chapter when you were the electoral mm -hmm. committee chair. DSA, for anyone who doesn't know, is Democratic Socialists of America. So we have a local group here in Denver. And we've also more recently been collaborating on some of these local campaigns for city council. Haley mm -hmm. has been lending her incredible expertise on field organizing. And then recently-ish, a few months ago, you started working full-time for National DSA doing field strategies. So it's been yep. a lot of change in even the short time I've known you. Um, and just to let people know some context, we are recording this January 6th, 2023. It's a full moon. It's Capricorn season. Your birthday's in a few days. It's just a lot of things. And it's also- Mercury is in retrograde. Mercury is retrograding, which we found out uh, very quickly <laughs> with technology. And then also it's this two years since the insurrection, which feels both really long and really short in a way. That's how I feel about COVID time in general. And I know mm -hmm. that that moment impacts your story and some of what we'll get into today. But before anything else, is there anything that I didn't share when I introduced you that you want to make sure people know about? No, I don't think so. I think you definitely covered the bases. Do you want me to do a more full introduction? Well, yeah. I mean, if if there's anything you typically say when you first meet people, I'm sure folks would love to hear that. And maybe that might lead into your story and just how you ended up doing the work that you do today, how you ended up in Denver, all of that good stuff. Totally. Yeah. I mean, let me, let me just do the whole story then. But yeah. also I wanted to mention it is weird timing with January 6th today because of the house speaker situation that's going on. Oh my God. And I was yeah. actually last night I went to bed and was kind of wondering if they're doing this, like if they're trying to do something and we're waiting for it to be January 6th, but I haven't heard any news Ugh. today. So maybe nothing's yeah. happening. Ugh. Hopefully not. But anyway, so yeah, so I grew up in Southern California in the county right above Los Angeles County, so Ventura County. And I moved to Colorado to finish up my last two years of undergrad uh, in 2015. And I moved to Boulder and went to CU Boulder. Hmm. And growing up, I always thought I wanted to be a therapist. And so I was a psychology major. Oh, and I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I know. It. It's funny now because I, I was just always like that role for my friends and was always really, yeah, just giving advice and the one that people would come to. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, I learned that that is not what I want to be doing, <laughs> uh, but I am glad for all the therapists out there. That's for sure. But yeah, so my last two years of school was the or last two years of undergrad was the Trump election. And so I started getting definitely just more aware of everything and started paying more attention and started volunteering on some more local campaigns and anything I could kind of like get my hands on at that point. I started taking a lot of political science and sociology classes and really did feel like that was more up my alley, but I did not have the money to stay any longer. So I finished my psychology degree and then 
was nannying full time and trying to figure out how to work in politics, which was quite the struggle. I think for a solid two years, I didn't know that you could get paid for really like any organizing work. So I always just kind of thought I was still trying to figure out how I could possibly work and do this on the side. Thankfully, I decided that you can get paid. And one of those ways is campaigns. Uh, So I started volunteering on a lot of campaigns and then I got a suggestion to work at the Capitol. And so I did get to intern at the state Capitol here in Colorado for a really awesome representative, Jonathan Singer, who's up in the Longmont area. And he's out of office now, but he was there for, gosh, eight and a half years or something. Wow. Yeah, he was one of the longest serving legislators, I think. Um, But yeah, so that was really cool. And it helped me get a lot of connections to different people running for office and just other organizers. And that is when I met Lorena Garcia, uh, who, shout out, just got elected during a vacancy committee and is now a state representative. And so she was running for U.S. Senate, though, back then when I met her, this was in early 2019. And I was just amazed with her off the bat, which is pretty typical of her. And so I did everything I could to work on her campaign and get involved. And she ended up hiring me full time at the end of 2019. And that was my first like full time paid political job. And I was her field manager for that campaign. And so that's what really started it off. She also got endorsed by the local Denver DSA chapter. And so when COVID hit, her campaign ended from a series of unfortunate events that we do mm-hmm. not need to get into, but just definitely all about how against how how much the system is against people of color candidates, women of color candidates, and then take it a step further, queer women of color mm-hmm. candidates. So she had, we always talked about that she had all three things against her. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, she didn't end up getting on the ballot and COVID hit and I was at a loss. So I started just getting more involved with the local DSA chapter. We were doing a lot of housing work or tenants work because of the pandemic and evictions on the rise. Um, yeah. And then just started to get more involved. I ended up taking over the electoral committee chair, getting elected to that, I guess it was the end of 2020 or beginning of 2021. And that is really when I started just getting more involved in the Denver community and doing a lot more and just getting to know so many more people. That's how I met you. That's how I met Shannon. That's how I met, I mean, Tiffany. Well, I guess I knew Tiffany earlier, but whatever. A lot of people, a lot of whom are running for office right now, which we'll get yeah. into. It's so exciting. But yeah, and then... I guess I, and then I did a few other campaigns through 2020 and was kind of hopping around, did some work with the paid family medical leave campaign. Um, and then I got a job at this nonprofit that I was obsessed with since college and wanting to work at for so long. I just thought they were the coolest people ever, which was New Era Colorado. And so I started working there at the end of 2020 and stayed for quite a while. I just left there at the beginning of this past year of 2022 uh, and applied for the job with DSA National. And now I work for DSA National as a field organizer. And so I work with chapters in Colorado and a lot of states, in a lot of different Plains states, Mountain West states, and then the Pacific Northwest. And so- I did, see, yeah. I was curious because until recently, I hadn't looked at like DSA National's website and their staff. It's a pretty small team. 
mm-hmm. actually, yeah, we actually, yeah, we don't have many staff. I think that's especially like, I mean, obviously we have a development team. We have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the different things that are needed to literally just run an organization to begin with. But specifically the fact that we are this political organization that organizes it is always it feels shocking to me because we only our organizing team right now is eight people. It's teeny. I know you all are hiring yeah. one more, I think. Yeah, um, I think we have one or two positions. One or two. Right now. Okay. And yeah. And but so I was 10 people. That's yeah. That's wildly small. And I mean, the DNC is its own beast, but if you think about what most, mm-hmm. even a state party has in terms of staff, that's actually kind of comparable, especially in a state with a robust democratic party. So you are doing that nationally, which is really amazing. And what I also think is cool is how your job is so focused on supporting the chapters because the real organizing Mm -hmm. and the real work happens on the ground, which you do every single day. And then you also have this great full-time job that happens to also do that for other chapters. So that's really cool. Yeah, no, that's definitely why I wanted to work here. Uh, And it is so cool. I mean, I guess just overall, the organization is run by its members. We're funded by Mm -hmm. our members. Everything is about the members and the staff are really just here to, you know, keep, keep the logistics and stuff going. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is just so member focused. And that I think that's so important to our movement. And it's really, really cool to just get to work with chapters and support them when they need me and Mm-hmm. get to just like witness all the exciting things when they don't need me and <laughs> yeah it's been it's been cool I think I definitely really like this job for sure yeah it's truly grassroots bottom up it's not top down here's the mandate you all go and figure this out it's, it's exactly from the actual people exactly so coming back to this strange two-year anniversary of the insurrection <laughs> which still I mean I remember that day like I I was at a point after the 2020 election where I needed a break from the news and I started seeing little things on Instagram earlier in the day as things were, I knew there was a gathering and I knew there was some weird shit going on and weird vibes, but I didn't, I was like, I really, I just can't watch another fucking Trump rally. Like I don't, I wasn't into it. And I also, I lived right behind the Supreme Court at third and East Capitol. Yeah. My last year in DC, maybe a couple. Yeah. My last year in DC. And then I worked in the Hart building in the Senate. So this was all happening, like where I worked, lived, grocery shopped, like (laughs) my little corner store. It's, it's wild to me. And back then, you know, this was 2013. Everything was just open. There weren't these fences. There was Capitol police everywhere. But it was a very low key in terms of the neighborhood, just pretty quiet. Um, right. And so it, as the day went on, it just it was very bizarre to start to see some of those images and obviously very scary. But you had a different experience being here. I at the time lived here, too, but you were working at New Era that day. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I would love to hear about what your experience of January 6th was and how that impacted yeah. you two years ago. Totally. Yeah. So. Some context about New Era. It's also a political organization. It specifically works with young people in Colorado to just get young people involved in the political process. They did advocacy work, voter registration. We did some work with high schools and mostly community colleges and colleges. And yeah, so I mean, when the we did a ton for the 2020 election, and this was, we definitely had some different plans in place for rapid response when and if something went right. down in terms of a 
attempt to steal the election or something like the insurrection. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was definitely at the worst case scenario side of our planning. And I think what was crazy about it, and I've heard other people talk about this too since, is the election came and went. And then we all kind of thought that if something was going to happen, it would have happened in November. Yes. Maybe December. But by the time January hit, I think most, at least us at New Era and me specifically were pretty much just chilling at that point and thought, I mean, not chilling, obviously there's millions of things <laughs> going on still, but we definitely didn't think the threat of anything big like that happening was still really a possibility. And so mm-hmm. I just remember, I do remember I was working probably on the couch where I love to work. And I think I was with my mom and she had turned on the TV as she always does and was watching the news and I was just seeing some glimpses of stuff. Yeah, kind of having the same thoughts of you as whatever. Like, why are they showing another Trump rally on mm-hmm. TV? Um, And then it started getting more intense. And I definitely checked out of work and was not really paying attention um, and was watching what was going on. And and then I just remember at a certain point, one of my um, coworkers and friends, Reagan, messaged me on Slack and was like, hey, do you think anyone's working right now? And I was like, no, Reagan, no one in this entire country is working right now. I think we're fine to watch this news that's happening. Um, And yeah, sure enough, I think our executive director put out a statement in Slack a couple of minutes later being like, yeah, um, everyone just watch the news and don't worry about anything. Yeah. Something like that. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it was just insane. I remember just being in shock for so long I would say that's that's the main yeah feeling I had at the time yeah and for uh, you yeah. is oh I don't I don't want to ruin your flow um no 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 go ahead because like in shock for me is like several hours of I'm fine like mm-hmm. I've been through so much shit already this is really scary but like I'm good and I remember jumping on Instagram and talking about white supremacy and trying to break some stuff down for people mm-hmm. in my community who aren't in the political space and maybe don't full, maybe didn't get the full gravity of it. And I was like, nope, my job is I show up and I teach and I support people and blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. the next day I kind of fell apart. So for you is shock a similar thing where like, it's kind of like numbness or I'm just going to keep going. What is that actually like for you when you're in that? 100%. Free- yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so this actually relates back to just my life the last few years, I think in 2020 that summer I was out protesting a lot and really yeah and we we actually um a group of us held an encampment outside of the ice facility in Aurora for 79 days I think it was wow summer yeah and so between the ice encampment and going back and forth to the different BLM protests downtown Denver there was a lot of trauma, a lot of things I witnessed, a lot of things that happened to me that happened to really close friends, community members that I witnessed, et cetera. Um, And so really throughout the last two years, I've been trying to figure, trying to get a better grasp and understanding of um, how I, how my body does work in fight or flight mode and freeze Mm -hmm. and all these things. And um, I have, have come to the conclusion that I definitely do a freeze. Um, and sometimes now I feel like I can't, I can't make any decisions. I'm like, cannot be relied upon if I'm feeling anything traumatic or something in the past that was traumatic is coming back up or something. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of how I felt in that moment. I think I was just 
definitely was frozen and just glued to the TV and refreshing Twitter mm-hmm. nonstop. And I think for a solid, I don't know, 20 hours or something, I that's all I was doing. Nothing else was going on in my brain other than trying to collect all the information, which I would not say was healthy because yeah, I'm, I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure within the next week at some point, the mental health stuff caught up and I yeah. was probably having some PTSD come back and some different things I had experienced um, in the last couple of years. So yeah. Well, and to put it in context too, yeah. with the BLM protests, like I, I, I wasn't um, living in Denver yet, but my understanding was there was a lot of police violence. There wasn't a lot of places. Mm-hmm. I know um, Elizabeth Epps who recently um, she's mm-hmm. a current member elect of the Colorado House, about to be our new representative for HD6. Yay. Um, But I know she got hit, I think, by a rubber bullet or something like Mm -hmm. really intense on her leg. Like there were court cases. I mean, it was really intense even in the last couple Mm -hmm. years sorting all that out because it got really, really scary here. Um, So I just want to put that in context for folks that Haley's not talking about just marching down Colfax Avenue. They got... Even though that's fun. (laughs) Yeah, which is great. Marching matters. But this was very disruptive um, organizing intentionally. So and that's that's a little bit different than um, like a women's march or something. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it was definitely intense in Colorado for sure. And yeah, and there was, there was a lot of police violence. Um, I personally never got hit by anything. I definitely Mm -hmm. had some extreme, um, uh, what's it called? Tear gas in my body. Yeah. Um, But um, yeah, I would say I I do feel like I lucked out, um, but I did, the stuff I witnessed was even just, it's too much for anyone to yeah. experience Yeah, ever. I've heard stories about people climbing over the fence near that cathedral and trying to get away and police, it's mm-hmm. like police were pursuing people who were trying to, yeah, it was, it sounded really, really intense and scary and fucked up. And um, so having gone through that, just, you know, not that long before the insurrection, I'm sure was a lot for your whole nervous system. And Um, and then, you know, you also at the same time, um, well, I don't know when did the unionizing start happening? Was that after January 6th? Um, yes, yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So I guess, I mean, the other thing I just want to say about January 6th back to me is, um, I do remember just being so, so angry in the following days. Like that was the emotion that definitely set in because, um, because of what I had witnessed in 2020 and knowing how the how the police treated these people of color, yes, activists, leftists, whatever, people that were in the streets in those months in 2020 versus what was going on at the Capitol was just, mm-hmm. uh, and I know obviously it was shocking to me. I'm a white woman. Um, I know this is not shocking to most people of color and a lot of folks, but um, yeah, anyways, just wanted to- yeah. Well, and that's, that's something I forgot, but that was a big message point. People were, I mean, not to simplify or boil it down like that, but that was something yeah. we just heard over and over and over on social media was if that was a quote unquote mm-hmm. mob of folks of color, or even I would say women in general, like anyone who's yeah. not predominantly white cis men, um, that probably would not have gone the same way. And also mm-hmm. there was so much shit about cops, like Capitol police, whose job is to it, ostensibly protect members of Congress. They, right. they were 
in cahoots in a lot of circumstances. They were not behaving professionally. Hearing AOC's Instagram live, did you watch that in the days following? I did. I did. I don't don't remember the details, but you'll probably join my memory. Well, um, let me know if I'm traumatizing (laughs) you. Traumatizing you. But, you know, she she also in that live shared for the first time that she's a sexual assault survivor and kind of like mm-hmm. what it brought up for her. And she ended up hiding in her um, house office bathroom and wow. had one staff member with her who was a man. And then they so as she's hiding her, her staff member told her to go hide because they heard voices in the hall. And then they hear a man's voice saying, where is she? Where is she? Where is she? And there was a Capitol Police officer going around trying to find members. But in her mind it's, it's one of the insurrectionists. Right. And how are you supposed to know? Right. And he also Capitol police are supposed just like any other police are supposed to operate with a partner in those situations. And he wasn't right. So she's like, he was alone. Anything could have happened. So, and yeah, hearing her story after that too, I just like the fury, even right now I can feel just the rage. Um, yeah, me too. My body is like tightening up. Yeah. I'm taught, I can feel myself talking faster, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it's, I think a lot of stuff in COVID just for me personally, I've kind of moved on very quickly, but not really processed everything that we've collectively mm-hmm. and personally been through in the last couple of years. And so this is a good reminder, like, Oh, I should probably bring this to therapy again. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And keep bringing it. Um, right. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, mm-hmm. that's something I was just talking to someone about this recently. None of no one ever is supposed to witness the amount of trauma that we witness now because of social media and the news. Yeah. Um, it's just every single day you could pull out your phone. And especially, I don't know what other people's Twitter feeds are like, but mine constantly has videos of police violence and oh. different things that I guess should be getting seen. There's There are audiences that need to see it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's audiences like that. Yeah, we just are getting over and over traumatized. or traumatized over and over. And yeah. 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 Anyways. <laughs> no, especially for folks of color, right? It's like- right. Uh, yeah, I remember that was a big thing when um, George Floyd was murdered. Mm-hmm. There were a bunch of cis white women in my feed who were sharing it. And I was like, wait, don't do that. Let's just, right. like, that's not, right. that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Um, right. Cause yeah, you have to think about who you're talking to. Um, yeah. And people of color, I mean, especially in Denver and any big city, I mean, anywhere, but also in the big cities and stuff and where we are right now is like, they're experiencing this every day. Like right. the sweeps that are happening, the police violence, the, I mean, all of it, it's yeah. happening constantly. And so um, beyond that, beyond us seeing it on social media, no one needs to be experiencing this or seeing this ever. No, no. And that's, and and I, I get what you're saying too. It's like, there are certain audiences who maybe that will wake them up. I certainly think George Floyd's murder woke a lot of people up who weren't yet on board with right. collective liberation, but Um, but obviously since then a lot of white folks have kind of, we haven't done the best job of staying in the game. I'll put it that way. Um, but yeah, it's something my mentor, Michelle Johnson says is there's lived, learned dynamic, um, specifically around anti-racism work, but you and I have the privilege of learning about this, whereas folks of color and people with more marginalized identities, they have, they live it like they, (laughs) they, they experience it every day. So, um, well, and Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to add, I think, um, and I think that's something throughout any, any time I go to a protest and stuff as a white woman, I'm 
I am constantly like, having to remind myself of that sort of thing. I'm getting, I'm choosing to go out there and put myself in yeah. um, harm's way or in front of this potential police violence and stuff. Whereas um, I, I can then just go home and be fine and not yeah. experience it. And that's not the experience for people of color or other marginalized yeah. identities. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, and then in the weeks following, what was your experience then working at New Era that led up to, that sparked the unionizing effort of staff there? Yeah. I'm sure that wasn't totally non-related, right? Like that must have been. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm actually trying to think of a good way to relate it, but um, I'm sure it wasn't. Um, <laughs> I know, I know I, personally that that summer was my time getting um, just so much more involved in community and um, the different movements that have gone, have gone on and are still going on in Colorado or Denver specifically. And so, um, and also, of course, getting more involved with the local DSA chapter. And mm-hmm. one of the biggest committees we have in the Denver DSA chapter is our labor committee. And so um, I had another um, co-worker at New Era who was also very involved with DSA. Yeah. Um I don't know if they want their full I know. Name I was going to say shout out, you story, know who you but... are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they are awesome. And they came to me one day. And so they had actually, um, this story they've published on a blog. So I feel like I can share a little bit about this. But yeah. um, they um, were actually homeless for a while and going from um, friend's house to friend house, friend's house to friend's house and trying to find somewhere to live. Um, and there was a certain point that our executive director had allowed them to, or offered them to move into her guest house or guest mm. room. Um, and so they did, and they were there. I don't know how long, maybe a few weeks or something. Um, but while they were there, like one night, casually, they were having a conversation about probably just the state of affairs in this country and mm-hmm. um, started talking about unions. And so our executive director was like, oh, you guys should unionize. Mm. And said person was like, great idea. Would love to. Um, So they came to me, um, maybe even the next day or very shortly after that and was like, yo, as the like only other like or like, okay, maybe there was others, but as the main other DSA person, I need someone who's permanently on staff to do this with me because they were working a temporary job on staff. Um, and I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. Um, at the time I was dating union organizer. So I was like, I know we have support from him and his whole people. Um, we got connected pretty quickly to a friend of mine who was a union organizer for a union that specifically works with nonprofit staff. Mm. Um, and so Can I ask she, what union that is? Yeah. So CWA and the local CWA. here is um, the DNG, Denver Newspaper Guild. And I can't even remember the numbers because I'm really bad at- No, that's okay. I'll look it up. I just, numbers. <laughs> I'm going to put it in the show notes. Sorry, I didn't mean um, to get you off track. No, 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 you're good. But yeah, so um, yeah, so I don't even know where I was, but whatever. You um, got connected to these local oh, yes. organizers and unions. Yeah, and they're amazing. And she connected to us, a different union organizer too. And the two of them just really helped us out. I would also give a shout out to Colorado Immigrant Rights Coalition. They were also unionizing at this time and mm-hmm. a lot further along in the process. And so they came to some of our very beginning meetings to give advice and support. And they were really, really amazing throughout the entire time. Um, but especially in the beginning when we needed the help. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we 
we just, I mean, after the executive director had told us to do it, it was kind of a no brainer. We were like, right. yeah, of course we need to, we need to get this, um, written down, get this put in stone. Um, and I do remember kind of in the beginning, there was these thoughts around, oh, you know, we have a supportive executive director right now. We need to just get this going so that in the future, if it's ever other people in charge, at least we'll already have this stuff in place and protections and, you know, so that was kind of our mindset in the beginning. Then we started meeting as a group and um, started talking, you know, about the different things we experience in the workplace. And um, there was definitely a lot more issues that we didn't really realize in the beginning, or mm. maybe like, not that we didn't realize it, but it was really just for talking about it collectively for the first time. If anyone takes any advice away from listening to this podcast, it's talk to your coworkers. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys are all going through the same shit. We were all going through the same stuff. Um, and we all kind of thought it was our own individual problems in a lot of different ways. And so it's not you, it's the system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got us to the theme. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. And so we realized there were actually some significant grievances. Um, there was also some just major issues that new era has had, uh, in the entirety of their organization. And those were the ty- mainly the, th- those were the big things that we really wanted to address in unionizing. And so, um, those were the fact that we had a very cyclical, um, uh, churn and burn, um, structure, which means in our, in our, um, situation, we had, I mean, gosh, in 2020, I think our staff in the election season was over a hundred people. And then by January 6th insurrection, um, we were probably back down to, I don't know, 20 or less. Oh my God. Yeah. So on elect, on even election years, the staff, we just hire so many organizers. I mean, obviously 2020 was a huge year, but it's always, it is always significantly more during the even election years. Um, and it's always these temporary jobs where we just bring in organizers, they work for a few months and they work their ass off, um, do insane hours. Um, I will say that some stuff has gotten better and this is Mm -hmm. conversations we always had and stuff that since the 2018 election team hours got better and pay got better and whatever, but still just not at a standard that's really should be acceptable. Um, still just like very nonprofit industrial complex shit right that everyone just accepts as normal um and so yeah so that was kind of the big reasons um we wanted our temporary staff to have longer contracts we wanted everyone to be paid more mm-hmm. um we wanted everyone to be paid a i mean hope we were aiming for a thriving wage but livable wage at a minimum mm-hmm. um because i can tell you my entire time there i just was going more and more into debt than Mm. I was when I started. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was the dream. Um, we filed our letter of like, um, I forget what it's called, but informing leadership that we were unionizing. Um, I think sometime around, let's see, I think, um, like early, early 2021, February or something, uh, February, March, maybe of 2021. And then we, um, went through a series of back and forth of um, trying to get an agreement on what our units would be 
and how we would bargain. And so as um, staff, we wanted to have one unit of all staff, regardless of if they're a temporary worker, permanent worker, part-time, full-time, all of it together. And we wanted to all be able to bargain at the same table because first mm-hmm. of all, at this time, there was only 10 of us, 15 of us or something like that. I think it was like 15 of us. Um, so that's not that many people to be, you know, we want to be able to bargain together. We all did the same job. We were all organizers when it came down to it. Um, and so anyways, we were denied that and told, uh, long story short, they wanted us to have two separate units, one of temporary workers and one of permanent workers. Um, we fought back on that a lot for a while. It took, I think a full six months, um, till we came to any conclusion. And the conclusion was us deciding to, well, okay, I'll give them a little, little smidge here. They decided to compromise in terms of that. They would let us bargain at the same table. AK we'd have the meetings together, but it would still be separate contracts. Yeah. But it'd still Mm -hmm. be separate contracts and it would still be separate units. And so after fighting back on that for six months, we finally were like, okay, you know what? If we just agree to this, hopefully it means they'll be, um, they'll compromise more at the bargaining table and we should just move forward at this point. Mm -hmm. So we finally got recognized in, I think, September of 2021. Okay. Um, So yeah, a full six months after recognition. Um, And surprise, surprise, they were not better at compromising once we got to the table but um yeah it was just I mean an absolute shit show Uh, I won't say who said it but I will say someone who has a lot of union experience um did say at a certain point that it was the most dysfunctional bargaining process Mm. they had ever witnessed wow um which love that for us um yeah and this is also just a reminder coming from a progressive focused political nonprofit. So if anyone's going to unionize and have an easy time at it, you would think it would be us. Especially Um, if the ED is telling you to unionize. Was that same person still in that? Yeah. My guess here is that she didn't know what that meant really. I was going to say. Obviously, (laughs) obviously she knows what a union is and stuff, but like, I don't think any of any of leadership or our board at the time actually understood what it meant to have democratic power given to your workers. Yeah. Bottom line. Um, they, there was so many power struggles throughout this. They were absolutely, I remember one of the final things I said in my exit interview, which I only did written because I did not want to have to talk to our operations director about this. Um, I just straight up was like, nothing because they they kept they kept going back and forth of needing to rebuild trust over the last year trying to or over the last two years now trying to every team it was like we need to rebuild trust we need to rebuild trust and it was like every new person that hired immediately realized they didn't trust leadership and no one leadership didn't understand why and it was just this whole ridiculous thing where it was like Mm -hmm. we don't trust you because you're not paying us enough and you're treating your workers like shit. I mean, it's not, don't get me wrong. It is absolutely not working conditions of a factory or what right. we see going on with Amazon and stuff like that, but we're not getting paid enough. We're not even, we're, most of us, we're not getting living wages at the time, let alone Especially not driving Denver. wages. Jeez, no, absolutely not. So or expensive. Boulder. We did have yeah. a lot of staff in Boulder too. Um, and so it was like, 
why would we trust you and respect you if you're not tr- trusting or respecting us? So like, it's a pretty, pretty easy answer here, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it just, it was, I don't remember where I was going with that originally, but just so intense. Bargaining went on for over a year. Um, I left the bargaining committee halfway through, I think, um, just stepped down for my own mental health. Mm-hmm. because it was just meeting after meeting of people crying and that's fine I was crying a lot too but um it's a lot though just like yeah people crying there was harmful things being said a lot um from leadership side um there was people of color being told that their experiences were actually not valid because that's not how leadership experienced it oh so that was fun um yeah a lot of good times um I have a a few follow-up questions here. So first of all, are any of the people who led the union organizing still there or did you all leave? Um, So our very original organizing committee, which was four of us, all four of those people are gone. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of who has served on the bargaining committee, which at this point, almost everyone had to serve on the bargaining committee at least once because it went on for so long. um, There are still at least one person off the top of my head that is still at New Era, uh, potentially a couple others, but I think it might just be that one person actually. Wow. Okay. So that says a lot. And also, yeah, it's, we, we talk about this a lot too, even with these council races and why the candidates you and I support are even running is there's so many in a city like Denver, especially, which is so dominated by Democrats Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's so much, uh, talk and saying the right quote unquote progressive talking points and I support unions and I got their endorsement and whatever, but then when it comes to putting it in practice and living those values that rarely happens. And even on like, even in leftist spaces, right. Um, and this resistance to paying people, you know, there's so many reasons, but I think at the root of it is this it's capitalism. It's a scarcity mindset of, well, we can't raise that money. We can't whatever. And that could be structural with the organization. It could be like, if you're on a grassroots campaign, that means the candidate has to fundraise more. We do have public funding for elections now. So it's a little bit better, but, um, this resistance to paying people more, that always seems to be the biggest, um, uh, like tension point between a candidate or an executive director or a leadership team. And, and the people, it, and it, yeah. it would be such an obvious, easy trust building solution to so many right. of these problems. But oftentimes people at the top don't believe that there is more, that there are more resources available. And so one well, thing and I, it's just, um, yeah, no, please, I was just saying, it's just the scarcity mindset, yeah, especially in nonprofit mm-hmm. world um, and campaign world too. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's just the bottom line. And um, it, it's just, it's crazy how many progressives leftists still don't, I mean, I wouldn't call them actually leftists, but these quote unquote progressives that just truly don't understand what paying thriving wages could do. Yeah. Like all that's going to do is improve the performance and stuff of these workers too. If you're yeah. actually paying me what I need to be getting paid, I'm going to do care a hell of a lot more and do a hell yeah. of a lot more. And you're, it's going to be way easier for you to fundraise when you have skilled people who want to stick around, who are right. going to keep getting better at what they do um, and building their network. And one thing I was curious about is who is New Era primarily grants? Is it individual donors? How do they fund themselves? 
Um, I do think it's primarily um, a mix of grants and really, really, really large donors. Okay. Coming out of Boulder County and some other areas. Uh Um, They also have tried to put in a lot of work um, the last couple of years to build up a larger grassroots donor base too. Um, mm-hmm. but I will tell you quite a few of them were DSA members who all chose like, to end their yeah, monthly donations <laughs> after this happened. Right. Um, but yeah, um, it's definitely, yeah, the funders and, um, yeah, yeah. Just and normal I, nonprofit industrial complex. Just bullshit. Yeah. And, you know, I have a husband who works for the state and he handles a lot of funding that flows from the federal government. And there's so many, like, <laughs> I don't know, philosophical questions that, that come up yeah. with this stuff. Um, and also grants, especially if they're government, they come with so many restrictions. Um, and that's why grassroots donor bases are so important to build, but you can't do that if you're treating Absolutely. your workers like shit. And if you're reliant on grants, which are, can be very whimsical, if a foundation's board changes or whatever, and they don't like you. When I worked for Planned Parenthood and did grants, we had that happen a lot in Indiana, mm-hmm. especially. Or if you have some large donors who you know, they're really inspired by some candidate. That's where their giving's going to go. They're not going to, yeah, it's just too much power in too few hands. Right. Um, Oh, and I remembered my original point where my tangent went off on um, just that leadership at New Era just, I think, didn't understand what it means for workers to actually have a seat at the table and, or not even a seat at the table to have half the table. Yeah. And, um, I I just what I was gonna say is that I in my exit interview I like wrote out the bottom line was like they are absolutely you're never going to rebuild trust until you actually trust the union mm-hmm. and give them their rightful half of the table um, mm-hmm. or it's never gonna change they're just gonna keep hiring cycles of people and it's gonna turn into the same thing which they did this election season every single person in this election season um, most a lot of them quit a lot of them fought, got fired and then mm. 11 of them got laid off so and are these or, are I, don't, they, I don't know if anyone was officially fired I, I do know but essentially fired I mean yeah yeah they were all yeah yeah put no in an left. impossible position well, they, and, they did terminate their entire field team wow wow the day after the day after the Georgia runoff ended that they had people working on up until the day before wow phone banking yeah that's wild so, I'm also curious, what were they saying were the reasons they couldn't pay more? I mean, were they just talking about fundraising or what What was the um, was Yeah, the they were worried about fundraising, but hmm. that was fun because we knew our we knew our fundraising numbers and our budget. And yeah, obviously we didn't know all of the breakdowns and stuff, but we also knew the wages that everyone in leadership was getting paid. And it yeah. was in certain cases, three or four times the amount that um, our lowest workers were being paid. So yeah. Um, Obviously, they never in a million years, I don't think, considered the option of lowering wages to increase others. That blows my mind. Yeah. It's such an, like, you could take a very small pay cut for you if you're making that much money and it wouldn't change your lifestyle that much. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, um, yeah, the same bullshit, but yeah. Anyway. Well, and our DSA National Workers Union, I'm guessing- Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we yeah. have a union. Um, I think we're part of the Baltimore News Guild. Not really sure oh, why, cool. but hmm. um, yeah, it's it's good. I mean, we also are not necessarily paid the best, but um, I know I, I I have a lot more trust that everyone 
um, is actually like trying to put our needs yes. and um, stuff first. And um, like everyone that works here is truly, I think everyone that works here is truly a socialist and um, <laughs> believes in this stuff. And so I do believe it's a lot more based on actually what we have in terms of funding and stuff to Right. Yeah. There's more equity, I guess, actually in practice. Um, Cause that's, that's the thing. If you can be transparent as a leader and say, I know this isn't enough and here's what we're doing to address it. I am on your Mm -hmm. team, not you're asking for too much and get pat on the head. Like that's, that's, I think the big difference. Cause one thing you and I talked about um, before we recorded was like our I, I don't even know whether to say the word progressive anymore. Maybe it's our leftist movements or whatever. We need resources. Yeah. And this mm. is part of why I talk a lot about money mindset for people who identify as anti-capitalist. Cause right now this is the reality of what we're dealing with. And so if you are someone who you don't negotiate your salary or you don't charge your clients appropriately, that right. money in your hands can make such a big difference. And like, we need you <laughs> to donate yeah. as much as you can to these candidates and to DSA. And I'll include a donation link to DSA um, in the show notes too. If um, Yeah. And also become no, a No, totally. I mean, and that's, yeah, please do join DSA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, shoot. I should be able to, I should be able to read off the join link right now, but I, I mean, it might no, just be okay. DSA dot, org slash join, but that might be wrong. Yeah. Um, it's like five bucks a yeah. month. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also dues waivers if you can't afford it. So mm. you can definitely oh, apply that. for a dues waiver. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. But I do think, I think I pay 10 a month or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but yeah, and that, that's what I was gonna say. That's a big reason I decided to take the job with working with these candidates that are all running for Denver city council, um, or jobs because mm-hmm. I needed the money and needed yeah. to pay off my debt from the last few years of trying to work at a nonprofit. And yeah. so, um, yeah. Yeah. And the only re- sorry. And the only reason that's possible is because we do have this new semi publicly funded campaign program for the city of Denver, the fair elections mm-hmm. fund, um, which is, is really life-changing for these candidates and the staff of these candidates. Oh, hundred so, percent. Yeah, yeah. I know Shannon has said she wouldn't be able to run and definitely wouldn't be able to pay people if we didn't have this matching. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully the fund doesn't run out because it's the first year. So for anyone who's new to this, we don't really know what's going to happen gonna happen. Q1, but knock on wood that there will still be money in the pool. Cause it's interesting right. that a lot of these more moderate Dems or more mainstream corporate Democrats are also taking the money. It's like, I know. All of the can all of the current council members who fought against the fair elections fund <laughs> have like, now yes, participated uh-huh. and taken thousands and thousands of dollars out of the fund, which yeah. is funny because they don't need it. Mm-hmm. And apparently it is helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And they only didn't want people to have access to such a thing because they knew their seats would actually be in jeopardy. Yep. Yeah. A lot of the incumbents, there's only one incumbent, you know, you and I love, which is candy. A lot of them just, these are the people who have the talking points that don't vote the way that they talk um, and don't fight for their constituents the way that they say they will. So it's, yeah, it's, it's funny how low the bar is to them as far as being a good council member. And this is why I always encourage people to run because you'd be surprised how inept and lazy and just how much your current electeds don't give a shit on all mm-hmm. levels, but especially locally, um, where so much change can happen if you have good people. Yeah. Can I give a quick shout out to who we're supporting? Yes. Yes. Please do. And I'll link all of these in the show notes. 
Yay. Okay. So let me just go in order. Yeah. Um, there's a new candidate in district one as of a couple weeks ago, I think. Oh. And I don't want to say, I don't want to do her last name incorrectly. So let me double check what it is, but, um, she, so that's my district and mm-hmm. I don't know the state of her campaign or anything right now, but she is amazing. Um, Michaela Ironshell Dominguez. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she is running to unseat San- Amanda Sandoval in this district, who frankly has not done anything. Ah. Not, okay, maybe not anything, but it's not great on council. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and then in District Two, our beautiful friend Tiffany Caudill, um, who's running to unseat Kevin Flynn, who has done close to nothing. <laughs> um, and then in District. Four, we have Tony Pigford, who is so awesome. I remember my first meeting with him. I was like, how have I, how have, has this person not been in my life before now? Has a very um, cute little kid. <laughs> oh my God. He has the cutest little boy. Um, but anyway, so Tony Pigford running in district four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have district eight, I think is the next one with Chantel Lewis. Yes. Right? Um, is that eight? I don't know. Yeah, okay, it is. I'll, I'll trust you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Chantel is incredible. And I believe that seat is open. So we just need to get her in that seat. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have Candy Sudabaka running for re-election in District 9. Yes, um, one of our Socialist Council members. Yes, and our yeah DSA endorsed <laughs> previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, and so, yeah, and then we have, let's see, um, District 10. Yay! Shannon, Shannon Hoffman. Hoffman, who is seriously the best, is freaking city council expert who's been just bringing access to city council for our community for a while now and mm-hmm. is just going to be incredible on council. Yes. Um, and then we have Sarah Parody, who's running at large. Yes. Um, and there are two at large seats open. So we need to get Sarah in at least one of those. Yeah. Um, and then. Is it just, did I miss anyone in the council? I don't think so, but I'm always worried because if I I don't have it in front of me, my brain forgets it. Yeah. And can I I also just say, oh, go ahead. I was just going to, I was going to add in personally, I'm definitely supporting Lisa Calderon who's running for mayor. Yes, me too. We have the mayor seat open again for the first time. Lisa ran last time is incredible human. Um, We love Lisa. Go Lisa. There's also a lot of other amazing people running, but I think Lisa needs to be the one. Isn't she both a lawyer and a PhD? I mean, she's she's Her? Dr. Lisa Calderon. For, yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, just for Dr. people Lisa who don't Calderon. know, um, she's amazing. Yeah, she's brilliant. I, I believe she has a law degree, a PhD. I mean, she's just super, super, super smart. And these are all people who have very deep relationships in the community. They're all Actually. a Denver Leslie Nope, only like a 2023 <laughs> yeah. version. So like even cooler. Um, because I've been rewatching Parks and Rec, which I love, but some of it does not hold up. <laughs> <laughs> so then I'm like, there's a little bit of like, oh, there are good Republicans who like mean well. I'm like, mm, no, 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 it's fascism on the other side at this point. Um, yeah, just straight up. Yeah, these candidates are all legit. Yeah, you know people. what I heard? Um, Emily Eelman, um, who's Sarah Parody's, like, I I think they met in high school. They've been friends oh for gosh. a long time. Emily told me that Sarah has never seen an episode of Parks and Rec. Like Sarah's oh one of those my. people who just was all about school and very studious and professional and like worked her ass off as an attorney for workers' rights and just doesn't really watch TV. There's so many pop culture things she doesn't know. I thought that was so funny though. I love that. Isn't that great? I love that. Like that's who you want. 
she is also just amazing. I remember the first time I was witnessing her around her kids or something. Aww, yeah. She was just such a just fun little I don't know how to describe yeah. it, but so I've only sweet. met Oscar, but I hear stories about Imogen who seems they're very, both very so funny. cute. Yeah, very precocious. Yeah, and a lot of these <laughs> folks have kids, a lot of these people parent um I work full-time jobs. Work full-time. I think Sarah, Sarah recently took a leave of absence, but she's parenting full-time um, while her yeah. husband works full-time. So yeah, these people are, these are who we want in charge of things. Um, Absolutely. Because I know for Shannon's campaign, the word we keep using is co-governing. We just don't really mm-hmm. have that right now. It's very closed off and not, not transparent with the public. We'll put it that way. So it'll be, it'll be really cool when these folks are elected, but it's going to take a lot of work. So if you live here, I think I'm going to try to release this episode ASAP. Um, So if you live in Denver, please help us knock some doors. You can, I'll link to all these different websites and Instagrams in the show notes, Um, but also donations help, especially if you're a Denver resident, then we get that nine times match from the fair elections and all that lasts. So $5 becomes 50 all the way up to $50 becomes 500. It's really meaningful for us. So yes, get your donations yeah. in. Yes. Asa, please. please. Um, well, before we wrap up, um, I, I have two more questions for you. First is what's been fun for you lately, which I know is not an easy question for me to answer. <laughs> um, I mean, I like to think that most of my life is fun, but, um, uh, I would say there's, which you know (laughs) oh my god there's someone new that I'm dating um and that's been really fun so I'll just leave it at that yes 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 um fun among other words yes he's very cute and very seems very nice I haven't met him yet um and then um you know again I'll link anything that we talked about I do my best to link in the show notes and I definitely want to link your blog if you're cool with that oh yes um, and is there anywhere else where people can find you, support your work, stay in touch? Yeah, I think most of my, I'm pretty much on all the social medias these days, mm-hmm. um, mostly Instagram and Twitter, mm-hmm. um, political stuff is mostly on Twitter. And I think my usernames are, uh, my Twitter username is just Haley Becker, my H-A-Y-L-E-Y-B-E-C-K-E-R. And then my Instagram is my full name, Haley Banyay Becker, which okay. I will just let Lauren link those in the yeah. show notes because I, I always yeah. want to say Banyay, like, like a banh mi sandwich. That's what well, it's, <laughs> it's supposed to be like, it's, um, Hungarian and it's supposed to be Banyay. Banyay. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't so, know it was Hungarian. I was going to ask you about the origins. Very cool. Yeah. So we don't, we don't say Banyay. Sorry, hungry. You know, one, one day there'll be a little umlaut over the eye. Maybe you'll reclaim it. Um, well, thank you so much for your time, Haley. This was really fun. And I feel like I learned a lot about you that I didn't know. And I'm excited to celebrate your birthday tomorrow. Me too. Yeah, And thank you to everyone listening. I hope that this sparked or catalyzed you to get more involved locally. That's where a lot of change can happen actually pretty quickly. Um, with even just a few people being very, uh, dedicated and committed. So, um, we'll we'll be back with another episode in two weeks. And in the meantime, take care, everybody. Thanks.